Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they've found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, we are doing something a little bit different. We are going outside of the painting only industry, and we are hosting Chris Lalomia. He is founder and owner of the Trusted Toolbox. It is a handyman and remodeling company based in Atlanta, Georgia. They've been in business for some time. They're doing quite a bit in revenue, and he has learned a lot of lessons along the way, just like with all other podcast episodes. If you do want to ask Chris questions directly, you can do so in our Facebook group. So if you're not a member of the group, search for Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast Forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. Again, the URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind and tag Chris with your questions there. Just just a, a brief backstory on how Chris and I met and, and how we have uh, Chris on this podcast. He was referred by a, a mutual friend of our COO, Freshcoat. Um, he hosts his own podcast, which is a whole lot more fun than mine. I'm going to tell you that because I was a guest on it. Uh, guys drinking, making jokes that are you know, quasi appropriate, just a lot more fun than what you guys hear me do. So I'm a little bit jealous, but that's okay. Cause now I drag down to my boring podcast, Chris. I'm looking forward to making it even more exciting. Or, All right. Well, um, no, we'll do it. I, I love it, man. So let's, let's get started with just some background of, of you and the trusted toolbox. Yeah. So I'm a corporate refugee. I left the corporate world to start my own handyman business and decided to do it on my own. Didn't do the franchise thing. Of course, I did it in 2008. And if you remember when that time was, you'll know that it pretty much stunk. Uh, so I have the worst timing in the world, but I was able to start as a handyman company. I'm pretty handy myself, uh, but able to grow to where we are today, where I have an office uh, just outside of Atlanta in a suburb of Atlanta. We cover all of Atlanta. I have 19 handymen that do work around the house. I also have a remodeling division now where we do larger stuff, decks, uh, bathrooms, kitchens. Uh, so we have a remodeling division and we've opened up a branch in Athens, Georgia. Uh, so now I'm a little more hands-off, well, very hands-off when it comes to doing work in the field, but uh, able to continue to promote our brand. We're the largest handyman in Atlanta, pretty proud of that. Uh, but That's it's been a lot of bumps and grinds over 15 and a half years going to be 16 in april yeah so the uh we, we talked obviously about painting companies you know when i came on your podcast um 
the painting company market's highly fragmented. You know, a lot of owner operators. I see the same thing with the handyman market, potentially even more so. I feel like it might even be more difficult to, to build a sizable handyman company. How do you feel about that? I agree hundred percent. I think, you know, when you're when you're talking about painting, uh, you're doing one trade. Uh, when you're a handyman, you're doing a lot of different trades and you're bouncing in between. When when you talk about what's the definition of a handyman, it is all across the board. When we ask what ourselves, what's the definition of a fireman? I think we could all draw what a fireman looks like and what they do. When a handyman, it's really all across the board. You know, they think you're going to be an expert in all things in the house. You can hang a ceiling fan, but you could also wire up a the entire house and then you could turn around and you could uh, plumb the whole house or and it's amazing how wide and varied the descriptions or what the expectations are of the customer and that's a really hard thing to serve because you know there's no such thing as an expert around the house and that's why as i built the team you got to find out what their specialties are and their skills are and really market towards that yeah so why did you decide to start a handyman business Ooh. Because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I've always enjoyed it. I felt like just like you said, it's a fragmented industry that also is not very professional. And so my spin at the Trusted Toolbox is to put a professional spin on somebody's coming in to work in your home. And back in 2008, really Uber wasn't around very much yet. Um, when you talked about what people outsourced in homes, a lot of people at the time were outsourcing things like lawn maintenance, lawn care. Um, dry cleaning, uh, cleaning of their own homes. But when it came to outsourcing things around the house, it has really taken off in the last 10 years where people are rather would rather spend time with their families and enjoy themselves and then pay for somebody else to do the work around their home. So I felt like that was a good uh, opportunity for me to take care of a fragmented market and really kind of capture one, especially in the metro Atlanta area. Yeah, so let's get into... I guess your journey, you started 2008. Sounds like you were maybe doing some of the field work at that point. It was. Yeah, I feel like uh, there's two ways to go about it, right? You could buy a business and, and never have done it. So if you're a painter listening to this and you've never painted a house, could you manage crews and do it? Absolutely. Um, I felt like for me, I was an experiential learner, even though I've been you know, in the finance world and I had been in uh, consulting work and uh, I felt like I had to feel it to be able to define what I expected out of the business and what I was doing for our customers. So I worked in the field for about four or five months. And then I quickly became our estimator, scheduler, quality assurance person, uh, and let the other guys do the work mostly. Yeah. And what were some of the difficulties that you encountered those first couple of years? First couple of years is, again, you're not an expert in everything and people ask you to do things around the house. And with the moniker handyman, I think it also means cheap. Um, so they're not expecting to spend a lot of money. When you think about painting your house, uh, especially at the time when I looked at this, and I've known a lot of painters, I mean, you're expecting to drop anywhere at the time between three and five thousand. Today, you're probably it's a five to ten thousand dollar purchase, depending on the size of the home and what you're doing with it in painting. Yeah. So I think you already have a built-in uh, barrier of entry, if you will. And if you can educate the customer the right way. With handyman, it's very low barrier of entry. Hey, I can find a guy off Craigslist, which is what I was competing against when I first started. Today, um, you know, obviously Craigslist has gone, uh, I think, uh, almost obsolete. Uh, I don't know anybody who's doing that. But they expect when a handyman comes in that they'll you know pay a couple hundred bucks and you can take care of a lot of things around the house. And that just, I think, it gets devalued with the skills and the knowledge uh, and the experience that these guys bring to the table. 
Yeah. So how do you, because the, the handyman thing, I, I think that issue is definitely still very much alive. And, you know, you can get someone on Thumbtack or, or Angie or kind of wherever, right, to come in and do whatever kind of job you have. How do you differentiate to the point that you're able to afford overhead, that you're able to hire good talent, that you're able to run a professional company when you are competing against these sort of, you know, lower priced alternatives? Yeah, hundred percent. We we actually have a, a we have overhead. I have an office. I have four ladies to answer the phones. We do it through service follow up. Um, you've heard it before. We've all heard it. You know, I, I'm just I'm just happy you guys answered the phone. And <laughs> right. you're like, yes. Uh, so uh, we do that through uh, the way we present ourselves, from the way they call in to the way we show up to do the job. Uh, texting two hours before we get there, uh, explaining what we're going to do before we get started making sure that they sign off on what we do. And again, putting a professional uh, spin on it raises the bar and the expectations and it starts to put it away. Uh, and that is the idea that I can go bake you guys off against others. I mean, this year we're tracking again to 42% of our business is repeat customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's been pretty consistent for the last four to five years, which is pretty cool. But that tells us that we're doing things the right way. They can They know what to... They know what to expect with our experience. And sometimes you just need a handyman to fix a fix a fence gate. And you don't care if he's background checked and you don't care if he's fully insured and you don't care if he hurts himself. And, and maybe you'll take that chance because it's a lot cheaper than with us. But what I'm also finding is that some of these uh, individuals price about the same place we do sometimes, not much less yeah, because they know they can get it. Sure. So you, what are you guys planning to finish this year in terms of revenue? Where do you think that's going to end? Uh, great question. Uh, I'm happy to share it. Uh, we're ending, we're looking like this year we'll end at six and a half million. That's in 2023 calendar year. Okay. And then how many team members do you have? So I have 37 today. 19 handymen and then the support staff in the office and then the project managers and the remodelers. And I also have five estimators that go out and do estimates when on-site estimates are required. 37, 37 personnel, and 19 of them are handymen. How many are remodelers? Seven. Seven remodelers, five estimators, and then some project managers and support staff. Yep. This entry. Okay. And what do you find with that? I mean, that's a pretty sizable team. Are they W-2 or subcontractors? Uh, predominantly W-2s. That's 37 W-2s. Uh, the subcontractors that help us in the remodeling space uh, are specialists in their field. And then there are subcontractors. Got it. So you have 37 W-2s. That's a fair amount. What do you find most difficult today running a handyman company of that size? Probably the most difficult thing is, uh, number one, if you if you can't figure that out, it is an expensive model to run the way I do. But my nets not going to be as attractive as a lot of people who can run uh, leaner and meaner than me. Uh, but what that has allowed us to do is that I'm willing to give up a little of the net uh, to ensure that I have a quality assurance program that the people will do it my way. So I'm, my biggest challenge is getting all of those people to act like the face of our company and to be like me. So I want them to act and, and treat our customers like I would treat them. And how do, is there a specific way that you hire or train to make that happen? Yeah, uh, we have an onboarding process that's pretty rigid. Um, in our interviewing process, we go through a lot of things. It's hard to, you know, I don't 
I don't have them come show me their work. I don't have little vignettes set up where they can go show us how to do that. They do it. What we do is interview them and make sure that they, if they can explain the lingo, then we can tell what's going on. If they're willing to show you pictures of the work that they've done, then you know that they got a good shot, but they will train with one of our guys for two weeks just to learn our ways and the way we do things that sets us apart from others. And then we have consistent training where we go uh, twice a month or every other Wednesday. Uh, we end up doing about 24 trainings, 26 trainings per year, where we bring them in for just an hour, but we're speaking their language. I'm, these guys aren't classroom learners. They aren't going to sit there and listen to me, blah, 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 about customer service. So we make it entertaining. Uh, it's contest oriented. Uh, it's upbeat. It's usually telling them a story and then punching home the quality assurance things that we want, or more importantly, the customer experience. We also, every time we get together, always train her on something technical, either a new tool that's come out. And for painters, I will tell you, at least twice a year, we have our Sherwin-Williams rep come into our office and we talk about painting or we talk about caulking or we talk about not only the materials they offer, but the right time to use the materials. Here in Atlanta, you know, it's going to get cold for a couple of months. So we switch the caulk we use. Uh, we also make sure that we know to paint in the right weather uh, times. So we bring them in to help us remind us how to do that. Yeah. So ongoing training, consistent training. How do you find your team members? You post job ads or? We do. Um, I have found a recruiter uh, in the last year and a half that has really helped, who really knows our industry. Uh, it has been a lot of different things. In the beginning, you post one thing on Craigslist, I got 150 resumes. Here and especially during the pandemic, you couldn't get these guys to show up at all. Uh, because if they're good at what they do and they can actually talk with customers and take care of their business and keep track of their invoicing and their billing, they really don't want to be part of this team. But what we do is invite these lone wolves to come into our wolf pack and tell them, hey, look, with us, we're going to help you guys do better for your families and provide for yourself if you follow our systems and our process than you would have if you were on your own. So right now it's ZipRecruiter and Indeed job posting boards, but a lot of these guys aren't really looking for jobs. And so the the um, compensation that you give them, you know, you're taking them out of the wilderness, so to speak, pulling them in. You're telling them it's going to be better for them. Are you paying them a, a salary hourly? Is it some sort of commission? How does that? Look? Yeah, uh, all of our guys are on commission with bonus incentives, um, and we we incent them around the way we want our customers to be treated. So number one is that they know what their job uh, is worth for them that day. Uh, they know if they finish it quicker, they can put more money in their pocket. However, to get it finished, they have to get a sign off from the customer, uh, making sure that we hit the customer's expectations. So that's one. If they produce so many labor dollars in a month, they get a bonus based on uh, based on revenue and throughput. They also get a bonus based on customer experience. So if they get a good review, a five-star review, we give them an extra 25 bucks. Um, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but all I'm doing is saying, hey, at the end of the transaction, ask for that review. Because if they're willing to give it to you at that point, that tells me as the owner sitting in Norcross that the person in Atlanta, Dunwoody or wherever the city may be, is happy with the work you did. And then so that's where they get their uh, additional bonuses. Yeah, and that can add up. You know, it might not sound like a lot, but you get a couple of those a week or a couple of those a day, potentially. It can definitely yep. add up. Yep. Okay, so the let, let's get into some some sort of painting painting crossover, I guess. You know, when we're looking at the handyman business, we know that our listeners are painting contractors, right? So what do you think 
is the same, I guess, between the handyman and the painting business? And then what do you think might be different? Because obviously you've taken a business model that I would argue is more difficult than the painting business model, and you've succeeded in it. So there's there's there are lessons to be drawn here, but I want to make sure we draw the parallels as closely as possible. That's a great question. So uh, I think, number one, we all have to start the transaction and we have to end the transaction. So we both have to do the same thing. When you get there, yeah. uh, I've been fortunate enough to be part of a number of studies. And one of the things that customers rank higher than even the price they pay is if the contractor is going to tell me what they're going to do and you set their expectations for them before you start, they want to know the plan. So if you're a painter and you're showing up, I mean, what's the first thing we do if we're doing an exterior painting job, right? We're going to go out there. We're going to pressure wash the home. We're going to prep it. And you're going to go out there and you're going to take care of maybe potentially some wood rot. Um, but you're going to caulk all your joints and you're going to have that thing prepped. Did you tell the customer that? Because a lot of times, remember, these customers, and again, I've been part of a lot of the studies. And one of the things I put in my book, when you show up to paint that house, they think the job's done. I think you're going to have that thing painted in a day. And you're like, oh, no, I'm actually exterior wise. I'm probably going to be here for at least two, if not three to four days. If you don't set that expectation with the customer, then you haven't done your job because if you can't set the expectation, you can't exceed it. Uh, and a lot of times when you get there, a lot of when I've heard this from painters, too. Oh, well, we use Sherwin-Williams paint. We're going to prime. We're going to use uh, super paint. And we think that that's telling the customer everything they want to hear. They don't know what that means. What they want to know is that you're going to prep their house and then you're going to put a good coating on that surface and you're going to prep it correctly so that it's protected from the elements and you're protecting. And we talk about this at our company, the number one asset in most people's portfolio, which is their home. So that's where we draw a lot of the same parallels. And when you finish, did you walk the job yourself? And what are customers looking for? Well, they're looking probably, you're, we're thinking, they're looking to make sure that you coated the exterior and you painted the trim with nice tight lines. Oftentimes, here's what I see from customers. They want to see you didn't splatter a bunch of paint on their porch. They want to see that you didn't clean out your brushes in their favorite uh, water pot uh, where the flower pots are. They want to see that you didn't leave a bunch of stuff and plastic sitting around. They want to see a clean house that's done. And so they're looking for cleanliness before they're even looking for the quality a lot of times. And it's been amazing where you're sitting there going, yeah, look at how good this job is. And the customer's like, well, look at all this drywall dust here. And if you go inside the house, it even exponentially goes up because now you're not only invading their time, you're invading their space. Yeah, now so you're climbing into their house and they're, they're, they're worried. And especially if you're doing prep, drywall dust is, as you know, man, it goes everywhere. Yeah, it's such, a, such an interesting point. The fact that that the painting company would be really focused on what they're doing, which is painting and the quality of the project, and the homeowner, that might not actually be their first concern. And this idea that we're taking our mindset, potentially even our values, or our, our view of, of this project, and we're transferring it to the homeowner, and we're assuming it's the same versus a more empathetic approach, which is recognizing that, you know, as you said, you've participated in a lot of studies, so you're familiar that there's actually some weird weird anomalies, not really anomalies, but there's some different perceptions here than what would be commonly um, thought, right? And so the homeowner is actually going to come and their first thing is, hey, did you screw up my house? Oh, no. Is, is, is it safe? Is it okay? Did you, did you mess? Oh, you didn't mess anything up. Okay, great. Now let's actually look at what you did. Now that I know you didn't screw up what was here beforehand. So that, that's, uh, that, that idea of customer service, of trust, of taking care of them, 
and then focusing on really what is essentially the widget, right? And that's where the, the handyman or the painting is the widget. Focus on that after the priority of actually taking care of the homeowner. When they hired us, the quality is assumed. Um, and, and to draw that parallel, they think that all painters will paint the house the same way. You know, whereas one guy might, right? it's a commodity where yeah. one guy might not do any of the prep. I mean, might sure. just throw some bleach on the house, say I'm good, and then start spraying and blowing and going. And other guys are out there going, I would never do that. I always spray and back roll, and then I go and I hand brush all of my trim. Well, as we know, that's a better coating, a better answer. But um, when the customer's looking at the quality is assumed, and then they look for the cleanliness. I can't, I can tell you one where we had a tile guy do a job. Uh, and he used their outside hose to clean off his stuff and he put the hose back, but he didn't put the hose back where they had it. And he had grout all over it, uh, which we had to go out there and clean the hose off because they were more, more worried about that. Even though we were doing a tile job in their master bath, tile job looked amazing, but they weren't happy because the hose got touched. And that's the one that she used to water all of her plants in the front of the house with. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's good to know, man. So the this idea that quality is assumed and this idea that that handyman is a commodity, painting company is a commodity, you're going to come out and you're going to put paint on the walls, right? And, and as painting company owners, the the, uh, the natural progression is to think about all the things that you do different, you know, the, the, uh, the way that you apply that's better than maybe trucking a truck and why it matters and this and that. But to the homeowner, might not super matter. There, there becomes a component of educating the customer and, and kind of demonstrating the difference in there. But let's talk about this quality is assumed. If quality is assumed, and I, and obviously there needs to be there needs to be quality, but where's the line? Because you probably don't need to do fine paints of Europe. So how do you calibrate? That's a great question again, because you've got to ask the customer what are they trying to accomplish? What do they think? Because quality is always in the eye of the beholder. We've heard that phrase. But they're the ones who are going to tell you what quality is. You may have, you may paint two houses next to each other. And the first house, they're thrilled with the job you did inside. You painted their crown molding, you caulked it up, you threw flat plane on the walls, paint looked great. You go to the next house, they want satin or eggshell on all the walls. They have the same house, the same bones. And that customer is sitting there going, wait a minute, you did such a great job for him. Why are you not doing such a great job for me? Well, did you ask that question up front? What were you trying to do? Well, I wanted to have accent colors and I wanted to put deep, dark blues in this room. And we all know that that takes uh, usually not only a primer and two, but maybe a primer, sometimes three coats just to get that color change. What are you doing to help set that expectation with the customer on what quality looks like? And so you can figure out where it is with them. Because you're right, you can't bid the perfect paint job every time. I mean, if you did, we would all be not just charging 10 grand to paint the inside of the house. We'd probably change, charge 30 because they're looking for everything to be perfect. But, you know, we want to do a great paint job, um, but you got to find out what their quality is and what their hot buttons are. And that's the big thing. And as you go through your needs analysis with them, what are their hot buttons? If it's, hey, look, I want you guys to paint my house, but you guys can't paint between two and four because that's when I put my baby to sleep. Oh, well, okay, that's a hot button. Well, okay, that's really going to kill my production, my my ability to do what you want me to do. Um, another hot button for somebody, maybe I've got family coming in this weekend. I've got to have it done. Um, tell me what's got to happen and are we allowed to stay a little longer? Because if you're okay with that, then I'll do that. So, see, hot buttons aren't always about the quality. Um, and then you're educating them about what you do and how you do it. A lot of us use Sherwin-Williams paint. Um 
I, I'm assuming, uh, because I like it. It's the, been the best paint for me across the board, uh, very consistent, and they've done a great job at least educating us on how to paint with it. Um, but sometimes when you uh, have customer-supplied paint, <laughs> oh, boy, look out. So yeah. it's those kinds of things. Yeah, no, customer-supplied paint is no good. So with the needs analysis, with the hot button, do you have this as part of your sales process? Do you have it as part of your kickoff? What does that look like? It is part of our sales process first with an on-site estimate. Um, if we don't do an on-site estimate, it's a smaller job. Uh, it's what we call our time and materials jobs or our half-day or our full-day rates. Then it transitions to our technicians who make sure that they go through what's going on, identifying hot buttons, but also giving them the plan, the customer, the plan on what we're going to do. So it's got to start with the sales process. I've seen some great painting contracts out there that are two and three pages long that are really good. Uh, we don't have that in our world uh, here at the Handyman Company. And sometimes it's come back to bite us. But in your contracts, it's going to talk about how you do it and what you're doing and and why if an additional code is required, why it's going to be additional money. So setting those expectations starts from that initial phone call to the on-site estimate. Okay. So I want to dive into this a little bit. I was talking to you about how I like to like to dive into things, right? And uh, yeah, yeah. I want to really go into this one a little bit. So the, because there's some interesting stuff here. So you're basically saying lay out the process, get super clear on what you're doing so that the, the homeowner knows the plan because they want to know what the plan is. When you're saying that, or how technical should the painting company estimator, let's say, how technical should they be going? Should it should it be more of a, hey, you know, this is going to take us two days. We're going to start pressure washing. We're going to do X, Y, or Z. Or should it, or should it be really like, hey, here's here's how we're going to prime it. Here's the primer we're going to use. Here, you know, here here's the order in which we're going to go. Like how how far down this rabbit hole should they go with the homeowner? Back to understanding your customer and their hot buttons. We've all had that customer that says, hey, man, nice to meet you. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, I need these three rooms painted in my house. Yeah, go take a look. Let me know how much it's going to be and walks away. You're like, well, wait, 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 wait. I get, come on back. And then you have the other homeowner who goes, they've got two pages already printed out from the internet. Um, I went to Bobby's <laughs> website. I know exactly. Self-made book there already. Yeah. So you got to identify who you got as a customer. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's hard. We use the disc profile here uh, at the Trusted oh, Toolbox wow. to identify not only how do we like to talk to people, but when we meet people, how do you identify how they like to be talked to? And it's it's hard. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about our business is we get to work with all the crazy homeowners uh, and help them with <laughs> expectations beautiful. of what's going on. But in general, I would tell you, if you start hitting them with too much jargon, you will lose them. Even yeah. the ones who got the book printed out. They're just trying to show you they know what they're talking about. Guys, they don't. They, they don't know the difference between an adhesive bonding primer versus a regular primer. They don't know the difference between a drywall primer versus a wood primer. They don't know. And you don't need to tell them that. You got to tell them and get them to get the quality, get that assurance that you know what you're talking about because they want to know, like, and trust you. You've used that line before. Yep. And to know, like, and then eventually trust you, they got to know you know what you're talking about, but you don't have to tell them everything. Sure. So convey enough, you know, again, depending on the person, the person who says, hey, give me the price, let me know. For that person, you're probably really going to want to just be focused on the experience, the relationship, you know, the timing, things like that. You don't really need to go technical at all. Uh, for someone who's who's printing out the pages, wants to look very, very involved, very much like they know what's going on, whether they maybe do or not. Uh, for that person, you're probably going to want to go a little bit deeper, but you still don't want to get sucked into this trap that a lot of painting painting companies get sucked into 
which is thinking that the homeowner needs to know all the all the technicalities of what they're doing and and kind of use it as part of their sell, selling process, which I think is is actually a crutch. You know, say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna come in this room, we're gonna do this and do this and do this. And they think that that the homeowner that that makes them different. The homeowner doesn't even know what they're talking about. So it's kind of in one ear, out the other, their eyes sort of glaze over, like, okay, great, okay, great. You know, but but you're meanwhile, you're losing them. And then the next guy who comes in, who's just basically forming a relationship, setting expectations, timelines, like, here's what we're gonna do, here's how long it's gonna take, you know, and maybe he's actually not even gonna do as much stuff as what you're gonna do. But the homeowner is more likely to choose them because he didn't totally confuse the heck out of the homeowner. I think one of the biggest things uh, we want to talk about in the sales process that we use here is I don't know what I don't know. As opposed to me coming in there and proving to you I have mommy issues and I'm trying to prove to you that I know everything about what I'm about to do when they don't care. You don't know what you don't know. And I think when you're asking open-ended questions in the beginning, have you ever had a painting project done? What did you like about that experience? What didn't you like? And sometimes they 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 wonder why you're asking because you don't know what you don't know. And you might hear, oh, yeah, the last time I had a painter come in, he told me he was going to be using this paint. And I caught him using paint from another person's house. Well, there you go. You're fine. That's an issue. Yeah. 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 So I think that that's the the hard part, especially when you're in there, because if you immediately try to run up to the top of Trust Mountain, and start going, well, here's what makes me different. I do this, I do this, I do that. They don't even know like, and so how are they possibly going to trust you yet? And so, and if you don't know what their biggest trust hurdle is before you start launching into your sales process, then you're missing the boat. And again, like you said, you're falling back on your crutch. Yeah. But then there's the opposite. I think the estimator who goes in and, and just tries to become your best friend, you know, goes in and starts talking about golfing or see something on the wall, starts, you know, fishing, whatever. And just just starts talking to you like your best friends and and ultimately actually rubbing the homeowner the wrong way for the other reason. Like, dude, I'm not your friend. I, I just want to know whether you can complete this project, whether I can trust you, whether it's going to be a reasonable price. How do you have you seen I'll, that? Oh, you- yeah. I'll, I'll call myself on this one. Uh, so I went to do an estimate with one of my estimators. Um, immediately identified that my daughter went to school with one of their daughters in high school. And so I completely derailed the conversation, started talking about the high schools and all of this going on. And I didn't pick up the cue from the lady that she had to go and she just needed to have all the details answered. And she wanted to hear all details, not want to talk about what I thought about the high school and the sports programs. And I went way (laughs) off the deep end and we lost that job because of me, because I I whiffed and we had already done a job for this lady too. Yeah. I mean, that's a powerful uh, example there because same high schools, you think you've already done a job and you can't lose that, right? But but you can if you go down the wrong path. Yeah. I love the fact you guys use DISC. DISC is huge. We've talked a lot about DISC with different guests. Jason Phillips is one that has come on and spoken about it quite extensively. How do you employ that? So obviously people, people take it. I took one recently myself and then my wife took it and that was really interesting figure out how how the marital dynamics work out with that but how do you actually in, use it at your company to to train your team so we have four uh, avatars that we use for all four of the disc areas so disc is a high driver um, they are talkative but also very detail oriented you have the eyes who are very talkative but also very emotional and not as detail oriented on the less uh, talkative people those are the introverts. Those are the S and the C's. There are some that are very detailed and some are very emotional. 
And so we actually put faces to them and put those up and tell you visual cues. So for example, we're in football season as we're talking about this thing and we're in the Southeast and Southeast college football is king. And if you see a flag flying when you get in there and all you see is all their diplomas and everything they got and their whole house is painted after their school color, (laughs) probably a high eye. If you're there to paint it in school colors, this is a sign. That's a sign. Yeah. Then uh, there's the great example of uh, you might walk into a house that's a busy family of four, which is a lot of what we do. Uh, and there may be toys everywhere. And you may be like, wow, look, this place is very unkempt. No, it's very homewarming. You'll see things like bless this house or bless this mess, or you'll, you'll see cookbooks open in the kitchen table. So you know that they're high. So what we do is we give visual cues to our team so they can start to pick it up because Let's face it, when we're talking about this with salespeople or our contractors, um, it's a pretty heady concept of disc profile. I mean, it's a lot of psychological mumbo jumbo, but you got to distill it down into little cues so you can figure it out. Because when you walk into the high D, he's the one that's got the earphone in, he's got the earpiece in, he's got a conference call going on one, you walk in, he's got the diploma of his school, but he could care less to talk to you about college football today. He just wants to know how much and when. And you tell me if you can get in a couple words edgewise on how you are different, then you you can hopefully get that ID on your team. Yeah. So the do you have any resources, any books, any trainings for how someone could take, I guess, DISC, right? The D-I-S-C and how you how you would actually because I've spent some time on this. I just went to a conference, spent a couple of days on it, and I don't know what you're saying. I don't know, like, hey, if you see the diplomas and if you see all this stuff or if you see toys on the ground in a cookbook, like, how do you, how'd you learn it? How do you get these cues? So I've been using it for 10 of my uh, 15 years. Uh, We developed it internally uh, where we have, uh, so we put together PowerPoint presentations on this and continually re-educate the team on what to look for. Um, because the hardest ones, especially for me as a high D and I person is to work with introverts because a lot of times with introverts, you are asking those, I don't know what I don't know questions, trying to get them to draw out. So you can figure out if they're really detail oriented or they're very emotional. And so with those introverts, what are some of those cues we're looking for? So for example, we show up a picture of, if you see that this lady has a China set prominently displayed in her dining room, then she is probably, while she's quiet, she is probably about family. And if you see a lot of pictures of family around, then you know she's going to be a little more emotional and a little less detail-oriented. And so that's where we go. Because I wish everybody could fit in those nice boxes like that, but we use the extremes and tell everybody that the extremes are what you look for, but you also have to play toward the fact that most of us are in the middle. Sure. Yeah, we're going to be going to be some combination of all of it. And then do you guys do role play or how do you actually do the training? So, I, uh, so that's a great uh, point. I do role play with my estimators and my project managers. I do not do role play with my uh, technicians. Uh, just think about that. If you've got painting crews, and you try to do role play with your lead on each of your painting crews, probably not going to be a lot of fun. They're probably going to feel pretty weird. I know a lot of guys uh, who have implemented that with subcontractors. I have not done it because I couldn't find a way to make it not weird. <laughs> that's, that's honest man okay the uh yeah i think if you do it effectively with the estimated project manager maybe office staff you know if someone answering the phone i think those those are going to be really the <clears throat> what the customer is looking to as the primary point of communication with your company 
Yeah, back to answering the phones. I do uh, record almost all of our phone calls, not all of them, uh, but we go through those occasionally and just talk about why while you're on the phone, you have to realize you are our customer service first touch superstar. For a lot of these people, if they actually pick up the phone and call you, it's the first time that they're actually getting a live voice. That person on the phone is your brand. And if you're not spending time with them right now, and you're just kind of passing it off to your wife or to your daughter or whatever, and you're not giving them the training, you are missing out on a lot of things you could be doing in the beginning to make them feel like they chose the right company by calling you. Man, how huge is that? Customer service, first touch, superstar. That person on the phone is your brand. So compare this to you know, the 90% of painting companies that don't answer the phone. If you call them, they're just not going to pick up. So the brand is dead. Or the, you know, kind of the the really good case scenario, which I'm actually not opposed to, although most are not very good. So I, I recommend a higher vetting than seems to be being done typically, but is call centers. You know, at least someone's answering the phone, but make sure call centers do record calls. Make sure you're listening to those recordings because you would be appalled at how they're handled at, at certain times. But let's let's kind of back up. Yeah, that the daughter, the wife, you know, answering the phone is better than no one. But again, there should be some some structure, some training, some something to it. How did you do this when you started? I did it bad. Um, I did it horrible. Uh, yeah. So um, the very first lady I, I hired into my office is still with me today. Um, so we have grown together and much wow. better at it. Now we have three others answering the phones along with her. Um, what I do now is I meet with them every other week. And we talk about that based on some phone calls we've listened to and letting them know more about what we do. Because one of the things I've had to train the people who haven't been with me as long is that they know more than the people that who are actually calling us. You gotta, you gotta believe it. You gotta know it. You gotta make sure that they they feel, they, the customer, feel like they have chosen the right company that they want to move forward with. I've also tried a call center and it went horribly. So I've heard people say, you know, a phone that's not answered is a lost sale. I'm going to tell you what, a phone that's answered horribly is definitely a lost sale and a referral killer. Yeah. And that's been the thing. You're right. Vetting a call center, I was not good at it. Uh, so I chose to keep it internal. It's more expensive, guys. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but I can control the customer experience better. And I also incent them with the same thing. We start off with you by customer service, first touch superstars. What are you doing to help them and make them feel better that they call the right people? Yeah. So the, yeah, these call centers, man. So we, we use tracking numbers and then we, we run it through a software and, and we go in, our team goes in each week and listens to the calls to actually figure out what's going on with our partners. And the, the difference between what painting companies oftentimes think is happening with their call center and what's actually happening is kind of terrifying. You know, the story we're getting is, oh, no, the, the call center, they answer first ring you know, always within two rings, we're listening. It's 45 seconds later, you know, the person just hangs up. Who's calling? Or they answer and, and you know, the recording is this, essentially of a call center agent seemingly upset or annoyed that they were disturbed at their call center job. I'm like, this is not a good impression for your company. So we've actually, not, not that we go out and try to do it, but for us, we're a marketing agency. So if the call center is killing their business, it's not very good. So we've gotten a number of call centers fired. But yeah, guys, you, you need to, they record the calls. If they, if they're not going to let you listen to the calls, then you need to, that's a sign right there. You need another call center. 
Yeah, and I'd, I'd say uh, I've come a long way with this. Uh, I don't have it all figured out. Uh, even today, probably while we're talking, a phone didn't get answered the way I'd, I would have hoped. So what I talked to them about is that I want them to be the face of the company. People hear that smile coming through there. And, and in the post-pandemic, um, I think we can all agree it's not a secret. People are a lot shorter with you, uh, a lot quicker to blow you off, a lot quicker to forget that we're all human beings. Um, so you've got to be even more ready for that uh, customer because they may call in and they may sound like a high D on the phone. And I go out there and do the estimate and say, oh, no, this person was really introverted and really just quiet. But they were trying to project the fact that you're coming into my house and you're going to. So, you know, feel, people feel like they have to do that or else they won't get good service. They're going to get steamrolled. So your uh, your call center tactics are definitely a big part of this. Yeah. So the. Well, what do you mean when you say when you say post COVID everyone's shorter? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of us have forgotten how to talk to people. Um, a lot of people it have become socially socially uh, non functioning. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, I I use myself. I'm a pretty I'm a hugger. I'm an Italian guy. Like you know, I love slapping people on the back. But I'm also the primary shopper for my family. I go into the grocery store during the pandemic. I mean, you put your head down because you don't want to give anybody COVID and you don't make eye contact. And then, you know, even today, here we are, you know, three years past or a year past, wherever you want to call it. You're still in there. You're still kind of hesitating. Even I'm hesitating to come up and, you know, don't want to hug you because I don't want you to feel like I'm giving you cooties or or COVID. But I think a lot of people. Uh, have forgotten how to interact with people because we also have those devices that we call our cell phones and our social network now is uh, Facebook and Instagram and it's not talking with people again. And so you got to remember that people, when they're calling, um, they're usually in a hurry uh, and you got to know that and your call center agents should know that your lady or your, and I said, ladies, I don't mean to be sexist guys answering the phones. And if you're a, a painting contractor and you have your husband answering their phone and he's not doing it the way you want, then you're really blowing it. Yeah. So then the another interesting point you made was having your your people who answer the phone, having them be confident. So when you when you say you want them confident, are you actually training them some on on the services you offer and how those work? Or what do you mean by that? Great. Uh, For us, we have a lot of different things we offer. And so when people call in uh, and we've all had it right. Uh, So if you're a painter, I just have a little bit of painting to be done around my house. You get out there and it's the whole house inside. No. Like, what you define as little? And so what I explained to those guys is, hey, send us a picture of what you're looking for. What are you trying to do? In our case, you know, I want to change out some attic stairs. I want to change out some lights. Well, changing out lights can mean a lot of different things, right? It could be just your porch light going into your house. It could be your vanity light in your bathroom. It could also be your two-story chandelier that weighs 4,000 pounds. 4,000 is a little bit too much, by the way. But um it's across the board. So we ask those questions of what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to get done, what's their time frame look like, um, because we're usually not a same day service in our world uh, for us. The other thing for us in painting and handyman that we have in common that I forgot to bring up, we're not a necessity. We're not an urgent necessity. Uh, my house doesn't have heat. My house doesn't have air conditioning. Need. You know, my house doesn't have hot water. Need. Uh, oh, my house needs some painting done. Not really a need. It became a need today. So, what are we doing to help them, and why they try to uh, attack that need today? Yeah, yeah, definitely more of a want than a need. It's also kind of interesting because, at least for painting, at least a viable substitute is really the homeowner doing it themselves. They might not do it as well, 
but they're probably not going to install their HVAC system themselves. They're probably not going to not going to replace their roof themselves. They can't legally. So, but they could paint the in interior of their house, no problem. So the the uh, you know it is a want, it's not a need. Although typically, if you are targeting a certain demographic, you know upper income demographic, usually that's not a a true substitute in in the homeowner's mind. Usually, they're not going to spend the time to do that. Right, but they would live with the house not being updated and painted for 100%. a month um, or for a day. But they're they're willing to wait for you to come out to talk to them to evaluate options. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think this idea of the the person picking up the phone having confidence. I don't think I have in man, we've done like 120 podcasts. We've done a lot of podcast episodes. And I don't think I have heard somebody say that once. We talk, we've talked plenty of times about how they pick up the phone, being professional, getting the information, qualifying, this and that, but actually being confident, like being the expert on the phone, even though they are they're technically, you know, internally maybe not viewed as the expert, right? They're they're kind of the appointment setter, however you want to you know, you want to describe them, but the homeowner needing to feel like they are talking to the expert right there. That's a key point, man. Yeah, I think the expert could be as simple as this. Hey, I'm going to have our owner of our company come out and take a look at your home specifically. Now you sound like an expert that you know that they're so special that they have to have your best guy. And when I tell those guys who they're setting uh, the appointments up for is that every one of their estimators, they have confidence that their guys going out there can take a look at a whole list around the house. Yeah. So you don't have to be the expert painter, expert car, but I do show them how to do some of the things just so they know what it takes to change a garbage disposal um, or what it takes to change out a sink fixture or even a vanity light. Yeah. So having some, just a little, at least a taste of it, a taste of the work that's being done and then probably a script of questions that they need to ask, but but after some role plays of confident, doesn't sound like they're reading something. And then really just letting the homeowner know, hey, there, there's all kinds of different projects or, hey, we're going to need to come take a look at this for you, you know, because your project is special and different and it's not going to be the same as everyone else. So I'm going to go ahead and send my best guy out there. Don't worry. You're in our hand, kind of like Allstate, you know, in good hands. We got right. you. We're going to take care of you. Don't worry. I'm going to get someone out there for you. And that's where the confidence and expertise comes in. They don't need to know that there's eight different sheens of paint or six or whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't matter. They they just need to know that they got you. You you called me. You called the right company. I'm going to get you taken care of. Here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah. So there we've talked about not answering the phone or you know answering the phone maybe not in the best way or using a call center but not keeping them accountable. What other common mistakes do you see painting companies make? So uh, one of the ones I will see is uh, is that you go out and you'll do an estimate. Um, and it'll sit there. And if you get a good sales process, you might follow up once, maybe twice. Yeah. And then you get the win. And then what do you do to communicate with them to get them ready for the job? In today's world, I said that everybody's short in post-pandemic world. Well, there's also another demographic that's coming online now, and we call them the bad word, millennials. And, oh, those people are horrible. They, they want something for nothing. They're all lazy. By the way, we heard that. I'm a Gen Xer uh, as well. But check this out. What these guys have grown up with is instant communication. These people are willing to get food from a restaurant and have it driven to them using Uber. 
and they're willing to pay for that service. They just want to be kept in the loop on when the service is about to be provided. So what does Uber do? Now, when you get an Uber driver, you get him tracked. You know exactly how many minutes away he's going to be. You're in the know. You're not sitting there wondering when they're going to show up. And one of the biggest things I see with painting contractors is that if you're doing exterior projects, you're always battling weather. You're always battling crews showing up or maybe taking longer. So you're always worried about where your schedule is going to be. And so what do we typically do as contractors? When, when there's bad news, we usually run from it and hide from it, as opposed to attacking it up front and just communicating with people. So those millennials need to be communicated with. They need to be communicated with a lot more than your baby boomers, who we think have all the money. What I have found is that millennials have the money and are willing to spend for the service and the experience more than they are their parents. And what I mean by that is they don't need to have the 5,000 square foot home with an acre of property. They'll take a smaller home, but they want a better experience because they want to go travel more, or they want to experience their friends more. And they're willing to pay for it as long as you can prove that your experience is going to keep them out of the dark. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I think about the, the food, you know, that I order and how they let me know, you know, Sean is is on his way to pick it up. Oh, you know, the, the Chinese food restaurant is still making the food. Okay. They're done making the food. Now Sean's picked up. It's like way over communicated. I'm like, man, I, I personally don't care. I'm like, just give me a rough estimate of when Sean's going to be at the door. I don't really care. Like whether the chopsticks have been put in the bag yet or not, just, just send Sean to the door. But right. some people, man, the fact that that's showing up on more and more platforms is right. A lot of people probably do care about that. Because they can plan their day. One of the things we can all admit uh, is that we're all very busy. We're all busy, busy with our lives. We're not willing to sit around and wait between 12 and 4 for you guys to show up. I'm not willing to uh, not know when my paint job is scheduled. Uh, it's two weeks out. Okay, great. Well, we had three weeks of uh, rain in a row. You're now out four weeks. Now I'm mad. Well, I yeah, but I told you right away. And so I know you're mad that we're, well, I'm going to go find somebody else. Well, they can't paint any quicker than I can because it's been raining. Um, so, <laughs> right. But they do that if you go dark and if you run away and hide from it, as opposed to just attacking, I've yet, I yet to have somebody yell at me on the phone saying, I can't believe you called me to tell me that you're not going to be coming on Friday and it's Wednesday. Yeah. They go, oh, I just took off my entire day for that. I'm like, I, I know. I apologize. Well, can't we get somebody else? Well, this was the right guy for the right job. We're trying to see if we can't do something. My scheduler does that on a day in and day out basis. But while you'll get a little bit of a shorter answer and people probably aren't happy, they're going to be even more mad if you go ahead and cancel that job Friday morning. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that, that's just a good life lesson right there. Don't don't punt on bad news. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool, man. Wow. Chris, this has been good. You're, uh, you, have a, you have a wealth of not, you've, It's almost like you've thought through some of this stuff. I might have a little bit. A, a couple of things. Yeah, you, have, you uh, have some depth here. That's for, that's very obvious. So let's talk about your podcast because I went on it. I had a good time. And obviously the people listen to this like podcasts and I think they could derive value from you, from yours. Let's talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah, so I've got the Small Business Safari. I do it with my co-host, Alan Wyatt. Both of us are entrepreneurs. Uh, we both left corporate America and started it. Uh, 
Alan and I have a good time trying to edutain people, educate, but also entertain. Um, because if you're in the car listening to us, we want to make sure that, you know, you might be chuckling a little bit while you're at a stop sign or somebody cuts you off. At least you're laughing a little bit because of what we're talking about, but you're also picking something up and getting better. So what we try to bring is while we're home services focused, I'm looking for people who are either thinking of starting their own business or trying to scale something. Uh, we bring people in from all different industries because I think you can learn a lot from people outside of your own industry. Yep. Uh, we've got we've had guests. We're about to have. Uh, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, we're about to have. Well, we've had you on. That was a lot of fun. But we've got an economist from Northwestern who's going to talk about 2024 and what the home services industry can expect. And I've listened to him talk before, and he makes economy exciting. Man, not boring. That's hard, right? That's hard. Yeah, I want to listen to this guy. Yeah. So we're hoping that we're going to have some fun with him. Uh, but we bring those kinds of people on. We'll talk about everything from uh, marketing, like we talked about with you. In fact, I've already uh, told two different people that we got to listen to your episode when it drops, because uh, I don't care if you're in painting or not. I know you're totally niched on painters. Uh, you can still pick up great points on how to digital market. And so we, we bring on uh, other people like that. We try to bring some people on here locally in Atlanta, because we have a lot more fun uh, having a beer with them in studio. But um, we've also had people on from as far as away as Australia, England, uh, Germany. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun with that, too, just talking about different industries and how they, they look at people in other countries. Yeah. Yeah. Your guys, your guys podcast setup is very nice. It's I was missing the alcoholic beverage. I didn't know I was supposed to bring one, but next time I will. I better, I better start putting that number one. Make right. sure you're doing First rule. Yeah. Because I primed up one of our uh, guests with, uh, I told him, I'm like, he's a bourbon drinker. So, all right, you're coming in. Got him primed up with bourbon and probably uh, this guy spouted off more knowledge. Uh, I, In fact, I, I talk to this guy once a month. He runs my mastermind group that I'm part of. And I learned more on that podcast that I've been with this guy for two and a half years because he is such a wealth of information. And we try to bring out people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, I love it, man. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap this up? No, I hopefully, uh, hopefully you got something out of this and enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I stop with all that trade stuff. Just got to go out there and do it, man. You know, that's why I share as much as I can, because this, this business is hard. I don't care if you're painting, handyman, gutters, roofs, whatever you're doing. Uh, home services is a hard business and you just got to be able to execute it better than others. 100%. Yeah. And you can tag Chris, Chris Lalomia, like Mama Mia, Lalomia, in the Painter Market Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook. You can ask him any questions, any follow-ups that you have here. Chris, I appreciate your time, man. This was a lot of fun. We're definitely going to do something again together because uh, I like you and, and you're a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, man. I look forward to it. I enjoy it. I'm going to come down there and bother you in St. Pete someday too. Do it, man. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> All right, brother. Appreciate you, man. All right. Talk soon. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing.
Painted podcasts are produced by the Painted Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 